0: Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. This is the bit at the top of the show where I talk about what's coming up in the show so as to lower your expectations. Uh, This week I recorded the main feature interview at Thorpe Park. Uh, If you'd have told me when I was 10 years old that I would be going to uh, the flagship British theme park Thorpe Park for work, Uh, I would scarcely have believed that such a thing was possible. Uh, But that is what I did, Uh, and I didn't have to serve pick and mix or anything. I went there to interview someone. You'll hear about it later in the show. But suffice to say, uh, I did manage to sneak out and have a go on The Swarm as well. What a ride. Uh, Before we set off on the big dipper that is this show, though, a big shout-out to Alan, who tweeted at The Modern Man, I don't often have to repair iron bug, I-R-N-B-U-G. But when I do, I often listen to the modern man. Now, I was intrigued by this, listeners, as I'm sure you are. What the hell is Iron Bug? Uh, so I click through, and it turns out that it's a VW Beetle emblazoned with the logo for the repugnant soft drink Iron Brew. And what I can't work out, Alan, is whether you have done this of your own accord, just branded a Beetle with the logo of, of perhaps your favourite drink in tribute to the drink, Or perhaps this used to be an official car which was used for promotional events in the 70s and 80s and now you've taken it on as a kind of classic car restorer. Or indeed whether this is a contemporary thing uh, and bar the makers of that revolting concoction are actually paying for you to turn up at events like a kind of Scottish Duffman. Whichever it is, thanks for listening. Uh, Thank you, Iron Bug, uh, but do let me know. Uh, Big thanks as well to all of our beer money donors this week. We are an independent podcast, so it's you guys keeping us going. Thank you. Uh, Paul, who has taken out a monthly plan. Uh, Chris, who has very generously pledged to buy us three beers a month. And Lucy, who gave the most substantial donation... Uh, Lucy, you will be thrilled to know that Ollie Peart and I did actually go out and spend, I think it was £10.50 of your money uh, on beer this week. That's just one pint each in Zone 1. I had a posh red IPA that wasn't actually red, and he had some sort of lager named after a beaver. Money well spent, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, If you'd like to donate, just go to UK and click Beer Money. Right, coming up on today's show, you're going to learn how many people at maximum capacity can ride a roller coaster in an hour. You're going to receive a lesson on tantric wanking. And you'll find out what I'm buying on bulk from the health store. Let's go. On today's Modern Man. We had to come up with a new scent that was the smell of an alien egg nest. Life is a roller coaster when you design theme parks for a living.
1: People fantasise about all sorts of, quite frankly, bonkers stuff that they would never want to happen in real life.
0: And Alex Fox takes a trip to Fantasyland for this week's Foxhole. But first, it's the moment that some of you have been waiting for. Uh, it's the Zeitgeist, our weekly look forward and backwards across the big trends of the week. Ollie Peart is here. Hello, Oli.
2: Uh, bonjour, Oli. Uh, j'aime nous chevaux.
0: <laughs> if you're going to keep answering me in French at the beginning of each week's show, I'm going to have to at some point ask you why you're doing that. Uh,
2: um, well, I'll tell you next week. How about that?
0: Next week? Yeah, yeah. Okay, can you say that in French? Uh,
2: je, je parle... Uh, okay. Next, cement. No. S- 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 what is your biggest trend of the week, Holly Pitt? Spoilers. Uh-huh. Not as in car spoilers, but you may be aware, Game of Thrones.
0: I can't believe how many times I've seen Game of Thrones be plugged on Sky News. Guys, you're a news channel. You know, you're supposed to be impartial. It's the biggest TV show in the world. Let's spend 20 minutes talking about what's going to happen, which no one's seen.
2: They all come with a caveat, and that is spoiler alert. Yes. If you read this, you are going to find something out that you don't want to hear. Yeah. We are in the age of the spoiler.
0: Okay. To an extent, reading a review, even if it doesn't contain plot points, is a bit of a spoiler. I sometimes think, because it informs what I think about the thing before I've watched it. Yeah. So then afterwards, I'll find my opinion being a bit coloured by that. Oh, she was better in this. Or, you know, he's, he's not convincingly in love with her. No. And, and it's not really <laughs> my opinion. I've just thought, someone's told me to think it before I've seen it.
2: Every trailer that's ever existed in, in history is a bloody spoiler. They show all the best bits of the film. Yes.
0: Yes. You know when you're watching a serial drama, yeah. and at the end it says at the bottom next time ellipsis, yeah, and yeah. then it's got a little kind of montage of what happens next week. I always literally, I'm not exaggerating, put my fingers in my ears and go la 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 when that's on because my partner refuses to pause it and move away because she says they're not going to spoil anything. They're just they're going to tease it up. They're going to all something's going to happen regarding this relationship or this dead person. But then I'm going to show you what. And I'm like they are, because if you're clever, you can tell what's happened, because you just use your imagination to fill in the gaps.
2: See, that's where we differ then, because I'm possibly not clever. So like last night I watched Undercover, which I don't know if you've been watching, no, it's I'm really good, it. it's on BBC, it's great. I was anticipating exactly that, I wanted there to be a, a little snippet of what's going to happen the following week, because it was such an amazing cliffhanger, I was like, oh my god, I just want to see, I want to see what's going to happen, show me something now! Yeah, And it didn't. And I got that's a bit better. wound
0: up. Yeah, but look look how excited you are to watch it again. I think that's better than when they actually show... Like Broadchurch.
2: Mm.
0: Broadchurch will return. Broadchurch. Much better than if they actually showed you clips of Series 2 of Broadchurch, which, as it turned out, was Pony.
2: But um, I wanted to just carry on with the theme of spoilers briefly. Right. I have a little game. Yep. I want to see
0: mm.
2: how many films I can spoil... For our listening audience, in in thirty seconds, because it's okay. like it's like spoiler roulette. So I'm only going to speak about films that are pre two thousand. Right. Okay. Right. So, in my eyes, if you don't know what happens in these films, that's fine. then that's your fault. Okay. Here is a risk. You've got to, you either tune out for the next thirty seconds, yeah, or you stay tuned in and you risk having a film you risk
0: spoiled, finding out that Marathon Man is about a Nazi. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's do this.
2: Okay. You ready? Yeah. The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back,
0: Darth Vader is Luke's father. Okay, hold on, how's this a game? You are just ruining films? Yeah, I'm just ruining films. Oh, (laughs) that's not a game, that's just you ruining films. No, because they're taking the risk of listening. No, because a game of risk, there's got to be a reward, that's the gamble. What's the reward of listening?
2: The reward of listening is that if none of them are spoilers, then well done for watching all those films. Fuck me. Can I carry on?
0: Uh, You can do two more.
2: Okay, Usual Suspects. Verbal kint is actually Kaiser Soze.
0: Yeah.
2: And Planet of the Apes. The planet was the earth all along. I, I can't believe I, you wouldn't let me do more than that. Well, like you n- no, you took the steam completely and, and, and out of actually, my game. And,
0: and also what you've done is, by referencing Planet of the Apes, is you've spoiled a film, of course, that's been made since 2000 because they remade it. Yeah, but the, I was talking about the
2: 1968 original. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's the same story, it completely isn't it? Counts. <laughs> like, it completely counts. You could spoil you Hamlet watch, if, if
0: they remade that.
2: I can't believe you don't like that game.
0: We've, I've, well, I think we've just, in, in all sorts of ways, just, you know, confirmed our suspicions that you're a terrible person. I but- want
2: people to, well, you know, you set me up with Android people tweeting. I want people to tweet you spoilers from now, <laughs> <I> just-, <laughs> just to tweet you spoilers <laughs> for everything.
0: What's your next trend of the week?
2: Pasta. <laughs> the uh-huh. trend is that pasta is becoming less of a trend. Sales have dropped in Australia 8%, in Europe 13%, and most surprisingly, perhaps, in Italy, 25%. That
0: is a shocker, isn't it? What are they eating in Italy? My pasta buying has gone down too, Yes, uh, but my pasta consumption hasn't because here's a thing that's not the sort of thing you normally hear in a, a magazine podcast aimed at men in their 30s. Go on. I'm eating spelt pasta. You Spelt fusilli, to be precise, from the health food store. And I don't know why... That somehow feels better on a diet where I'm trying to moderate my carbs. But it does. I know it's still a grain. If you want to try pasta but you don't like pasta pasta, try mm. spelt fusilli. I'm all over it.
2: Well, perhaps you're, you're one of these guys then that eats these as alternatives, right? So they've suggested uh, quinoa, oh, chickpeas, yeah. Yeah. lentils, mm-hmm. barley, chia and, of course, spelt, Yeah, which oh. contains less gluten.
0: Who's listed that?
2: Well, the the press release guys. <laughs> <laughs> if, I mean, if I'm you're going to get
0: your news from press releases, Ollie, as you are want to do, you should at least name the company that's issued the press release, <laughs> I... rather than just the, the gods of the press release who churn out facts into your brain. Yeah. Who was it this time? It... Uncle Ben's. <laughs> no,
2: was it? It, wasn't, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Uncle was Ben's. It? it was, uh know you're, saying, you're putting me. Do you, know, do you know what I actually did? I took a picture of it on my screen. God. And I've broken my screen. So you're going to do someone
0: else's press work for them. You've got to at least credit the brand. It was
2: like Burnham and White or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They were like, they're like food restaurant consultants. Okay, great. What other brilliantly researched trend of the week have you got for us? (sighs) Obesity of the web. Obesity of the web.
2: I stumbled across this article on Wired. See, there we go. Great. So basically, the average website is the same size as the original video
0: game, Doom. Almost every word in that sentence you just said has hurt my brain.
2: So the average web page today is around 2.3 megabytes in size.
0: Uh
2: Uh, Doom was 2.39 megabytes. I see. So there's not much in it. When you consider that Doom is like a 3D sort of platform mad crazy game where you can kill loads of stuff... It just seems insane. Well, it
0: speaks to the age of the web, doesn't it? I suppose that's what they're saying, yeah. So these sites, so a news site, for example, has got 20 years' worth of articles on it. Mm -hmm. Well,
2: it's not just that. So what's happening, so web speeds have got much, much faster. Mm -hmm. And developers, as a result, are less keen, not less keen, less bothered, maybe. Maybe they're just lazy Mm -hmm. to make efficient websites. So they'd rather just go, oh, I want to make that look nice. So it's quite, you know, it would be media-heavy. So I have, like, loads of videos and images and that kind of stuff. Like page load times, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes it's like, even with broadband, you're like, come. Come on, yeah. what are you doing?
0: I haven't noticed that, but you do live in a slightly more rural outpost than I do.
2: Yeah, I rely on copper a quite a lot <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rather yeah. than the old fiber
0: optic. It does make a difference, though. I've got the fastest virgin broadband thing, which is actually still really good. Hmm. But you're right, they don't make a great deal of concession for the fact that not everyone does. It's partly because, isn't it, the, the cloud business. You know, when, when when people had their own servers, I think, when they were designing websites, they were a bit more careful because they realized on their electricity bill, Uh, what would happen if they front-loaded their sites. Now it's just like, oh, it's it's like it doesn't exist because it's in a big data centre somewhere in Mexico. But it does.
2: Yeah, it does matter. And and the people that are footing the bill now are are web service providers. So they're they're like, or internet service providers, that's why they're going to start or they think they're going to start capping the unlimited internet that you can get these days. Mm. You can get now quite, you know, you, you're pretty much going to go for an unlimited plan, but they're going to start capping it because it's becoming more and more expensive for these guys to supply you with un- unlimited bandwidth because of the size of the websites. But a side note from that, mm. something really interesting out of that was uh, that dial-up died in this country in about 2013, pretty much. Did it, yeah. So BT said, no, we're not doing dial-up anymore. Oh, really, yeah. You can still get dial-up. Yeah, company called Friola, you can get it for 2p a minute. But in the United States, 2.3 million people still use AOL dial-up.
0: Yeah, I've seen that stat before or something similar, and I don't think they do. I think they still pay AOL dial-up, and there's a difference there. They have heritage subscriptions that they haven't bothered cancelling because it's a direct debit they set up 10 years ago. See,
2: I heard that as well.
0: Either way, I think people just nostalgically are attracted to watching pornography load bit by bit. <laughs> well, that's why slow was, reveal was quite exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what day. I was
2: thinking. And maybe if you want to, you know, if you want that experience again, you can yeah. sign up to this two p a minute dial up in this country. So it just loads porn really slowly, mm, so mm. you can just sort of get excited. Oh, oh, ah,
0: oh,
2: oh, yay! <laughs> I, I feel
0: like I should have stopped that sound effect <laughs> quite a few seconds before I did. Are we done? Yeah, I think so. Right. We should thank uh, Fallen London for sponsoring us again this week. We should. Uh, So this is the game that you were promoting quite well last week.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's available
0: now on iOS. Mm -hmm. Have you been playing it this week? I have, yeah.
2: More. Even though I've been busy, I've still been able to dip in and out of the game, which is (laughs) exceptional. What a
0: brilliant review. Do take the time to post that on their iTunes page, won't you? My point about that. I'm a very busy man.
2: I'm a busy man, but I can play my games. (laughs) I can play my games on the train. (laughs) What? I <laughs> and I bad. can play them. <laughs> What's that work? What is that Listen, to it's a good game. You can dip in and out of the game. Do <laughs> you know what I did today?
0: <laughs> I do- oh, you certainly didn't work on that accent.
2: I persuaded a woman to let her move into her house. To let me move into her house.
0: Oh, you, Pippa?
2: No, on the game. Oh, sorry. are the game. Okay. Okay. I thought like- you were
0: saying your fiancé finally let you move no, in. I
2: persuaded her ages ago. Right,
0: okay. In the game. In the
2: game, I persuaded a woman to let me move into her house. Right. And my persuasiveness level has increased. Is that actually a score? Yeah. And I'm also quite dangerous, apparently. Oh, really? Mm. I'm a risk taker.
0: And for people who haven't played the game, you give us a little sense of the vibe? Dickensian, I would oh, describe yeah, it yeah. as. Yeah, but yeah. Everyone speaks a bit like Russell Brand.
2: I can imagine there's lots of smoke everywhere, but you don't know where the smoke's coming from. Excellent. That well, kind I, of vibe.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure the people at Fallen London will, will feel this was money. No, it's
2: great. Place. No, it is great. No, it is.
0: No. <laughs> contractually promoted their game <laughs> uh, if you want a special gift from us go to failbettergames.com slash modern and yeah if you, it is a good text adventure game right you like your text adventure games Yes, it's playful really in good. London I yes That's why I on said iOS it. now I said it good. good okay That's fine bye bye Okay, time to talk theme parks. Uh, You probably don't like theme parks as much as I do. Uh, When I was seven, my first trip to the States was to Disney World. When I was 16, I spent the whole of my summer playing the game Theme Park on a PC, until my fingers bled, Uh, and when I was 30, I spent two grand going with my friend Ben to spend a week in Florida, uh, during which time we visited six parks in six days, made ourselves physically sick by doing too many thrill rides while suffering from jet lag, and literally cried when we met Mickey Mouse. Uh, But the chances are, you have wondered at how the attractions at theme parks are designed, because the good ones, they're clearly not off the peg. They are the result of really clever people spending a lot of time creating an experience that will satisfy and terrify adults and children alike. Uh, one such clever man is Bradley Wynn, who works for Merlin, the group who manage the biggest portfolio of theme parks in the UK, including Chessington World of Adventures and Alton Towers, which has been in the headlines a lot recently, and Thorpe Park in Surrey, which next month adds a new attraction, which is their biggest ever investment, a ghost train, designed in conjunction with the illusionist Darren brown i went to thought park to meet bradley who initially studied architecture but found he couldn't shake off his first love for theme parks
3: when i was little i always used to play on roller coaster tycoon i was a complete enthusiast my parents always took me away to florida and that sort of sparked something in me so how did you become a ride designer I actually interviewed for a role at at Merlin Magic Making that there was no way I could ever have got. I was way underqualified
0: for it. Merlin Magic Making. Merlin Magic Making is the division of Merlin Entertainments, which owns Thorpe Park and Alton Towers and others.
3: Essentially, it's Merlin Entertainments' design house. Right. I actually found it by being a complete nerd. So, when we build new rides, what we what we have to do is submit planning submissions to. the local planning authorities. I love this already. Some people probably assume that because we own our theme parks, we can just build what we want, but we're completely at the mercy of the planners, particularly at Alton Towers, and also here at Thorpe Park. Anything that can be seen from off-park or even on-park, you need to submit planning for that's a structure, you know. So... These documents go online. And I knew because I was an enthusiast on the forums that um, you can learn quite a lot of information from our attractions by looking at the plans. What are they planning on building? Nice. And I now know from where I'm standing that we try and keep those secrets back even in our planning submissions as much as we can. But essentially, I found the contact details of the relevant people through a planning submission, ended up getting put in contact with the right people, found the job application, applied for it, got invited for an
0: interview. That, the rest is history. I've sort of worked my way up from there, really. And now you are a theme park designer. Yeah. Are you doing everything that you wanted to do when you used to play on the computer game? Or not yes, quite? Yeah. yes. Okay, talk us through your new ride, because I can tell you're chomping yeah, at the bit. I am chomping at it. the bit. So tell us, first of all, how it was pitched, and then yeah. how it's been developed over the last few months. So it's a little bit unique, because um,
3: we've got a separate team. They sort of said, okay, Darren Brown would really like to work with him. Contacted him, and he was up for it. But at that point, no one knew what the hell it was going to be. And we just didn't want to start with, okay, here's a piece of kit, here's a ride. How can we make that Darren Brown? And and,
0: and just to pause for a sec, that's clearly what a lot of rides have done in the past, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, even in some of the real top end theme parks, you know, uh, Aerosmith's rock and roller coaster comes to mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a roller coaster that they've branded with Aerosmith, isn't it? It
3: is. And there's going to be a limit of how high, how fast, how many loops you can do. I think people want more from theme park rides now. So we then started to look at, okay, well, Durham wants it to be really filmic. He wants you to feel immersed. How could we do that? Okay, well, in the past, we've built really immersive theming, but there's kind of a barrier. There's a limit where guests sort of connect with that because they know they're in a theme park ride. They know they're in a building. They know they've queued up for it. So one of the huge things about the ghost train is that we've, you know, it's this whole thing about perception versus reality. You know what you're looking at, but how can we make you question that? And so we're using a whole raft of techniques like virtual reality um, like immersion, like theming, like motion, like actors, and a whole load of other things that I kind of don't want
0: to spoil for, for your listeners. But is it, is it a walkthrough thing or is it a sit-down yeah, There's
3: thing? elements of walkthrough. You're sat on a ride at one point. There's this one chamber. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but that's never been done on that scale before. And how long does the ride last? So I can answer that in a number of ways. You're in the attraction probably for around 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. From the minute you get to the end of the queue line, drop your bag off and go in, yeah. to the minute you go up, come out into the gift shop a lot of stuff happens in there which can be broken down into all sorts of timings and ratios but basically it's around a 13 to 15 minute experience
0: and is that an important factor when you're designing a ride now because again in the old days it seemed like rides people were happy to queue for two hours and have something that lasted for 40 seconds
3: i guess it depends what you're trying to get out of a ride like like i said sort of stealth it lasts a split second you're on it you get the thrill you join the queue you go again i mean we never sat there and said okay we want this to be a 15 minute experience but We knew what we wanted to do and that just added up to being and lasting sort of around 15 minutes and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, you're going to be queuing, we've worked the throughputs out so that you're not going to be queuing longer than you would for our other rides despite the length of it. So, What's the throughput? So all of our rides, we're briefed to deliver 1,000 people per hour through them and so that's to make sure that people aren't queuing for too long, there's enough people going through the ride. So you'll, you'll be queuing for a sort of standard amount of time, you're getting hugely rewarding length of experience by the time you come out. you you, That's quite a chunk of your day when you think about it in comparison to other roller coasters and rides in a theme park.
0: There's something about the history of the ghost train which is quite evocative, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But it's also quite evocative of something actually quite naff and cheap at a fun fair. Yeah. You know, the ghost train is the thing where some bloke, you know, who takes your money then comes up behind you on the carriage (laughs) and goes woo with a sheet over him. Are you playing on that? We are, yeah. I think Darren Brown, when you get to know him, he's really into Victoriana.
3: And the fact that the birth of the ghost train was back in the travelling and carnivals and the fun fairs. We've drawn on that for inspiration, but we're almost doing a tongue-in-cheek. You thought it was that, but no, it isn't, but we're not telling you exactly what it is. The train itself is not like a doom buggy, tub train um, car that you're going around and you're being jumped out at people. You're on an underground carriage. From that point onwards, you know that anything that you're thinking about a ghost train is out the window. Anything goes.
0: So how long have you been testing the ride
3: for? Well, I mean, what do you mean by testing? Do you mean running things to see if they're working? Or? Yeah. Um, so, we've probably been doing that for three or four months now. On on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, we have to run the ride a certain amount. I won't bore you with the text, but... Bore we, me? I'm fascinated. <laughs> we have to run the ride a certain amount of times, um, completely, you know, endlessly, one after the, another, just to get the relevant documents that we need to open the ride to the public. You know, we're completely at the mercy of that. Um, also, we've been running with um, so it runs with no
0: one in it. It runs with no one in it constantly. So, are the, are the, the actors there, <laughs> even though there's no one to experience it? Well,
3: so sort of breaking it down, there's the technical aspects of the ride, which yeah. mechanically we need to run and run and run and run and run, yeah. just to highlight if there's any issues, um, if they're going to, you know, if there's any bugs in the system that are going to mean that they stop unexpectedly. But there's also the health and safety aspects of it. So we we load test it. We do things like filling it with sandbags and ramming it at full speed into the buffers, just to make sure that. God forbid if that ever happened, um, it's safe and, you know, the structure supports it and the relevant protocols kick in, et cetera, et cetera. You know, obviously health and safety is very
0: important to us. Now, Merlin was in the headlines for the wrong reasons last year, obviously with the Smiler at Alton Towers. Yeah. That must have been playing on your heart when you're designing a ride now, even if you think there's no chance something like that could happen on this ride. Uh, How has that affected the kind of culture in the company, do you think? So obviously it's been a, a very sad time for Merlin. Um
3: that incident was a terrible thing should never have happened health and safety is something that we have constantly in the back of our minds when we're developing an attraction we work with the review bodies we don't ever open an attraction until it's been fully reviewed and signed off from a safety point of view um i think it's challenging us to just to think twice about when we're developing attractions as to what would be deemed appropriate
0: and you know the themes and things like that that we're putting into an attraction well, what like do you said, mean by that you mean like a theme focused around pain
3: not not so much that i guess the thing is we just want to give people an unforgettable experience in all the best ways we want people to have an amazing time uh, to be blown away in the best way possible so we don't want to do anything that's sort of contentious or would be seen as in bad taste following following the incident so
0: and i mean it's so rare isn't it i mean it's something you just don't read about generally speaking
3: yeah I, I, to be honest, I don't want to dwell on, on this too much. No,
0: understandably. But I, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I remember someone telling me about roller coasters that they could only stop in two places, at the top and at the bottom because of the yeah. momentum. So a roller coaster is basically, it, it's
3: driven by gravity. So you get cranked up to the top, depending on what type of roller coaster, you get cranked up to the top of the lift hill. And then from that point, you're at the mercy of gravity to pull you right to the end of the ride. It does go through um brakes. And they're the only opportunities for the ride to be stopped when we want to stop it. And there are other types of roller coaster that are powered and that, you know,
0: can be stopped throughout the ride. So, so we have control. OK, let's talk about some of the other uh, rides that you've worked on. Okay. And give me some t- tricks of the trade here. What else can you play with? Presumably there's feel, there's smell. We've used touch, so people touching you
3: when you don't expect them to. Um, I mean, Thorpe do Fright Nights. And all people want to do is to be absolutely scared witless. So you're going through these horrendous experiences, these mazes, and there's actors grabbing you, touching you. People actually love that. As long as you're sort of made aware,
0: you will be touched, but you will not be harmed. Taste- it just so doesn't appeal to me that <laughs> honestly. Like I like a roller coaster. The yeah. idea of someone jumping out from behind a wall and grabbing me is just so yeah. unattractive. Yeah, yeah. What is it in people that they like that? I I, I just think it's
3: the ultimate
0: thing you can't.
3: Um, obviously you can be touched at home but in terms of um, themed entertainment you can sit at home and watch a movie um, unless you're a complete nerd and you've got like a moving seat with smell coming out of it or whatever you know it's that crossing over into this is the closest you can get to being in this immersive story you can watch a film and feel really immersed but it's almost like controlled danger you know know you're safe you know that you're not going to come to harm but it's as close as you can ever get to C- completely living on the edge of that
0: and, and so smell, how can you work on smell in a ride? So smell
3: um, one of my first year of working at Merlin, I worked on two projects for Alton Towers, Ice Age 4D, and in complete contrast, Nemesis subterra uh-huh. and Nemesis Subterra, we, um, we had to come up with a new scent that was the smell of an alien egg nest. Right. And so we had all these horrendous I imagine perfumeries of, are not working on that at no, the same time. Uh, no, that didn't go far. And actually the smell was so horrendous that we took it out because it was leaking into the queue line. It was leaking into the staff areas of the ride and we, it was just horrendous. What was it? Um, so it was a combination of cut grass, yeah. which sounds like a One lovely... One of the top smells. sounds like a lovely smell, but yeah. if you smell cut grass from a vial and you don't know what it is, it smells horrible. It's really horrible because you can't quite pinpoint what it's supposed to be. I think it was burning smell in there as well and maybe Rotten Flesh all mixed together into one lovely perfume
0: and then there's the soundtracks aren't there yeah. uh, I mean I've I've read the uh, Saw Ride here yeah. at, at Thought Park again horrifying idea to base a ride on that film Uh, but in any case quite evocative the way they use soundtrack i mean it's got a sort of hollywood style bespoke soundtrack hasn't it yeah
3: so we're in a good really good place at the moment with our soundtracks we've got a fantastic soundtrack for the ghost train but
0: someone writes and produces and orchestrates that especially for the ride yeah
3: exactly so it's completely bespoke we would never use i mean unless in the case of something like saw where we have that film franchise we're working with the creators of the film we may use some of their audio but for most of our rides it's it's our vision that we've created from, from scratch. So we'll have a completely unique composition made. Normally myself or whoever works on the attraction would work with them and be like, okay, so I want it to have this sort of feel. I want it to have maybe, maybe give them some film references or TV references and say to them, here's the theme book for the attraction, which is basically a document with the attraction all visually and on paper. Really immerse yourself in it and then come back to us with how you think that sounds. And they'll come back to you with, a demo and we'll work through and we'll get to the finished product Um, we try and make it around a 40 minute loop because when you're stood in the queue line if you keep hearing the same loop every 10 minutes it drives you mad
0: and is it possible to make people genuinely feel when they're queuing like they're having an experience It's something that you notice a lot at theme parks is that they're trying to do
3: yeah it presents a challenge for for myself as a theme park designer and also for for the attractions themselves what we want people to do is to not be stood in queue lines hating it we want people to be having a fantastic time queuing is part and parcel of a theme park unfortunately if you want to go on a ride there's only so many so many people can be on the ride at a certain time so yes what we're looking at doing is making that a part of the experience and we're kind of doing that on the ghost train the ghost train isn't the type of ride where you can just be like smile for the camera and take your picture so we're doing a lot of the photo capture for your souvenir photo in the queue line but we're doing it in a way where you don't even realize that we're taking your photo it's all packaged up into the experience and it's starting to tell you the story
0: and that's a huge revenue stream i presume for all theme parks isn't it is the photo i mean a family of four comes out here they're likely to go home with two or three pictures that they've paid seven quid for or whatever yeah i mean it's yes
3: yes there's a revenue stream from it but it's also enabling our guests to have a
0: memory of their experience which oh, yeah, you can sure. only get on the ride but is it quite disruptive when you're designing a ride to think we know we have to build in this moment where everyone looks at the camera i mean i'm thinking about the, like on a log flume it's obvious where the camera's going to be yeah. on other rides i reckon you actually have to build that in in a way that's not necessarily that helpful to you, what you're doing you do thinking. i mean
3: on a roller coaster it's um, it's no biggie you know people often look out for the camera and you, you know you can write it into the storyline on a roller coaster i don't think that's a problem or a tracked ride it presents more of an issue on a dark ride really so in the past, we've taken the decision that it's not right for this ride to have a photo. It would ruin it, so we're not going to put one in. Or like we've done on this one, it's not appropriate to have it in the ride, so we're having it elsewhere.
0: And if you're looking around the world at other theme parks and other theme park attractions, who yeah. do you think is getting it right and who's getting it wrong? I don't think anyone could deny how
3: amazing the Harry Potter stuff is at Universal. I, I, like, I went yeah. on that ride three times in a row.
0: <laughs> I just went straight off and back on again. I couldn't
3: believe what I was looking yeah, at. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean... They've just thrown so much at that. They've worked with the scenic artists from the movies. They've really thought about it. They've really thought about putting you in the story. So myself as a theme park enthusiast, they're they're the guys that I'm looking at in awe.
0: And who's getting it wrong? Who who when you go
3: on a ride you're just you like, Oh, this that? is Yeah, like oh this is just doesn't work. I'm not gonna name the attraction, but last week we went on a bit of a research scamp of one of our competing attractions and um it's just a bit frustrating for me as a theme park designer because I'm going through some of their rides and they've got all the components there, but they've just not put them together right.
0: Now, presumably, the more and more you go on the rides, the less scary they are. You become more used to them. There's yeah. only so much they can do to you. Yeah. Uh, do you still, for pleasure, ride any I, of the rides here?
3: When I, When I talk to my mates, I find myself actually realising that rides roller coasters don't scare me anymore and that's really sad because i remember going on nemesis for that's my first roller coaster and it you could, just the idea of being upside down in a seat was so unnatural i was such a wuss but now throw any bit of roller coaster kit at me it doesn't scare me and i find that quite sad apart from things like stealth or rita that have that launch just because physically they make me feel so awful. Mm. Um I don't want to feel like that. Um so I, I guess that's why for me things like the dart rides um I enjoy more. Everyone takes something different from a theme park.
0: But when the when the gates are closed and the public have gone home. Yeah. Do the staff get to go on the rides? Um no, do you di- still get to ride the roller coasters <laughs> or not?
3: <laughs> we d- we do, you know, we have staff um, benefits and passes. I don't ever try and use the do you know who I am thing because I just hate doing that. And also, everyone in the queue line is suddenly, like that guy designed it, and then start throwing abuse at you normally because they would have done it differently. <laughs> do they? What do they say? Oh, no, it's just um, like things like the enthusiasts, etc., on some of the fan forums, like you are not ever pleasable. You so can you're, never... still, you're
0: still there on the forums lurking to see what they say.
3: We. They will probably be thrilled to know that we do um, look at their comments. We know what they're saying. What Obviously, do they want? I guess the forums are coming at it from a point of view of if they had any budget, if they had no um, health and safety restrictions, <laughs> no operational restrictions, yeah. wouldn't it be amazing if we did X, Y, and Z? Yeah, yeah. buried oh, you yeah. alive. <laughs> it would be. I'd love to. You know, I am in this business to make the most amazing thing possible. Yeah, we go through two years of meetings we're meeting every single week we go through every single possible issue that could come up structural issues mechanical issues and so the original concept evolves and changes what you end up with is the best possible thing we can deliver based on the brief that we've got and how to execute the vision that we we had so the the forums are coming at it from not knowing all of that background and quite rightly you know they're dreaming big which is what i did and that's why i do what i do now
0: well keep dreaming big thank you (laughs) nice to meet you you too Right, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you, but not me, your problems, with Alex Fox as we take our weekly trip into the foxhole. Hello, Alex.
1: Hello, Wally. I love how you begin my section often by saying right, when in fact so much of what we discuss is deeply, deeply, deliciously wrong.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm laughing out of discomfort. You're right, it is wrong and I feel nervous about it. Is
1: it a discomfort I can help you with? A chafe?
0: <laughs> There's that laugh a again. What, what have you been up to this week?
1: Uh, I've had my head in a book. Oh, yeah. I've been reading the autobiography of uh, a fellow sexpert, actually, and friend of mine. Um, she goes by the name Girl on the Net. It's actually the tale of how this sexpert who made her living for a long time talking about her various dating adventures and, and sexual exploits with lots of different people fell in love with one person.
0: I can see why this book will particularly appeal to you.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I'm looking for love.
0: I know. The reality is, I think a lot of people are intimidated by what you do for a living. They'll think, oh, you might write about this, or you might talk about
1: this. I think people worry that I will publicise what happens behind closed doors very openly. (laughs) I definitely think that people who are considering going on a date with me do worry about that, but that isn't something they, they ought to worry about. I don't talk about um, private experiences I've, I've had with people in ways which could be used to identify them.
0: Do you go to a deli bar and sit with three other experts and compare men on a weekly basis?
1: No, okay. but that might just be because I can't afford the deli bars in London. It costs about £14 for a single olive.
0: Let's get on to this week's question, shall we, Alex? OK. It's from CJ, who says, I wank a lot, normally once a day. Is that a lot? I mean, potato, potato, isn't it? Depends Are on you wanking
1: age. with potatoes? <laughs> do you mash them first?
0: Uh, in my wank bank, I have a couple of memories of times with girls slash boys from when I was 14 or 15, and a few from when I was 18. I play the memory back as I do the deed, occasionally changing the outcome. It's <laughs> very honest, isn't it? Usually if you're replaying your uh, sexual misdemeanours from when you're 14 or 15, you would have to change the outcome. Uh, is this wrong? I presume what he means by is this wrong is because of the age of the participant.
1: Yeah, I'm presuming that the main part of the question here is, am I a paedophile because I'm thinking about Hmm. circumstances in which the participants at the time were underage?
0: And I suppose the answer is you at the time were also underage. So that does give us a rather different answer, doesn't it, than if you were perving on people that, for example, attended the school that you taught in.
1: Yes, exactly. And You're thinking about your own experiences. Um, I still think that people can get very, very worried if they uh, feel that, that the source of their fantasies is often something that's come from when they were very young. Mm. They can worry that if they see themselves as preoccupied by that, then that it might suggest that they're damaged or deviant in some way.
0: Whereas actually it's just kind of informed, isn't it, rather than damaged? You know, we're all informed by whatever sexual experiences we had going through adolescence, effectively, aren't we?
1: Precisely. And for a lot of people, some of the most poignant, most powerful, most potent sexual experiences do ha- are some of the ones that happen to you when you're younger because it's all new and it mm. makes such a massive impact on you. Mm. To fantasise about your early sexual experiences is not wrong and it's extremely common. Uh, So I do think that if CJ is concerned that there's something weird about his personality, because he's often harking back to these early sexual experiences, there's nothing to worry about there.
0: I I can relate to this experience as well. I remember my first sort of feelings of lust, basically, unrequited, I must say, uh, for a particular girl. I mean, she was 12 at the time, sitting opposite me in my English class. Uh, That is there, it's there in the memory bank. Um and it's just simply because of that absolute uh wave of uh strong hormonal sensation that I'd never felt for before. You. Exactly. Yeah. I unfurled Alex.
1: It's quite a nice and thing. And that will be think there, about, won't I it? Think.
0: Now you recently visited Japan. Yes. They have all sorts of uh, issues, don't they, from a Western point of view with the age of consent and how they visualize young ladies in particular, I would argue.
1: Certainly the outlook there is very different yeah. to what it is here. It's seen as a lot more acceptable for younger women in particular to have older men act as their mentors and their sponsors um, and for there to be a sort of a relationship that's somewhere between the paternal and the sexual, I think. We also need to draw a clear line between what CJ's doing, which is fantasising about something that happened to him in in a sexual way versus actually wanting Mm. to really go and have... A sexual experience as an adult with a young person—that those two are very, very different things. People fantasize about all sorts of, quite frankly, bonkers stuff that they would never want to happen in real life. And some people's fantasies are really, really shocking. Um, I recently was speaking to some women at a group called Cafe V, uh, which is—it's—it's a—it's a discussion group for females who've been through some form of sexual trauma or, or had sexual violence committed against them. And one of the things these women were speaking about was how common it is for someone who's been assaulted sexually or been raped to actually fantasise about rape or assault. They might fantasise about their actual rapist, they might fantasise more generally about a scenario involving, uh, involving sexual assault, and that doesn't mean that they wanted it at the time. It doesn't certainly mean that they want it again, but it can be a way of uh, working through a trauma. We use our fantasies to process all sorts of things about our histories.
0: So, this wank bank thing, you know, gets talked about quite a lot. Uh-huh. Do you think there are people out there who don't have one? People who, when they masturbate, just decide on the moment. Just
1: think, on, think about nothing. Yeah. I have spoken to somebody who finds it really difficult to orgasm when they're wanking if they don't just stare at one particular point. If their eyes move, they consider that a distraction. It puts them right off their stroke. And And they say they try and empty their mind as much as possible and just stare at this one point. Um, It's like tantric wanking. Yeah, yeah. Empty mind, empty ballsack, apparently, for this particular person. But I think most people do have a fantasy or several fantasies that they go back to in their wank bag. Have you ever had that scenario where uh, you're doing some DIY, some downstairs DIY, having I'm, I'm, wank?
0: Right. Oh, I see. Sorry, I thought you were actually outlining a fantasy that involved Handy Andy. Uh, sorry, go <laughs> on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, have you ever had a scenario where you're 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 pleasuring yourself? Yes, yes,
0: yes. And and
1: you're going through the the, the yes. thoughts in your wank bank, mm. you know, and you're thinking, oh no, I don't I don't really want to think about that one. Oh no, uh, maybe not that one. And you yeah. sort of go through this mental rolodex and then. It can be really unfortunate if it lands on the wrong image or the wrong recollection just at the point of orgasm. Or is that just me? I think that is just you. Awkward thoughts.
0: Yeah. You've you've managed to explain self-pleasure in a kind of choose-your-own-adventure style. What is it that you land on that's a terrible thing? I'm curious. Oh,
1: there's definitely moments where I've thought about an ex that I really don't want to think about.
0: Emotionally or physically?
1: Oh, either. Either. Why is he there? I don't know. Yeah.
0: And remember, you, like CJ, are not alone, unless you choose to be, uh, and you need help with that, as CJ does. Uh, You can always share your sexual dilemmas here at The Foxhole. Alex, how do you do that?
1: Head over to uk and click on feedback, then you can feel less alone. However, I cannot help you get alone.
0: Alex Fox there. Thank you to her and to everyone at Thorpe Park and to Ollie Peart. Uh, And thank you if you have left us a review on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, please head to iTunes.com slash M-A-N-N. At the time of recording in the UK at the moment, we have exactly 98 reviews uh, with an average of five stars, which is lovely. But it does just kind of irk me in an autistic way. That we are not at the century. So, if you could leave us a review and get us to over a hundred, I'd really appreciate that. Thank you. If you'd like to leave us some feedback, perhaps a suggestion for a future show, you can do all of that on my website, modernman with two N's.co.uk. Right, music time. Our theme is by Django Django from their debut album, and this climbed a mountain of vinyl to become our record of the week. It is Damien Girardo's new single Cachina and it's going to be everywhere from May the 6th. I've been Oli Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. I lost my mind a step down for a time. And then my